The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Media Talk. On this week's show, it's an awards special as we look forward to the BAFTA TV and Sony Radio Academy Awards. Plus, situations vacant at the BBC as it looks for new controllers of BBC One and BBC Four. And let battle commence as BT takes the football fight to Sky. As if that wasn't already enough, we look forward to all things tech with Jemima Kish and ask, is the new series of The Apprentice any good? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. And I'm joined for the first part of the show by Boyd Hilton, TV editor of Heat Magazine, and Ollie Mann, Media Talk regular and one half of Answer Me This. Welcome both. Hello. Hello. Boyd, your Media Talk debut, long overdue, I've heard it say. Very excited. Although I did appear in the Edinburgh one, doesn't that not count? Uh, was that a video cast? Oh, was that a video? Was that completely yeah, different? So. We yeah, yeah. Does that officially not count? I don't think it counts. Oh, no, they okay. go into different. In my VAT uh, submission, uh, they go into different categories. Well, in so, that uh, case, thank you <laughs> for welcoming me for having me on my first audio-only. Lovely to see media talk. Uh, we start this week with the Sony's, the annual Radio Oscars. Of course, they are, which take place at London's Grosvenor House Hotel. Where else? Next week, hosted as ever by the estimable, it says here, Chris Evans. Not sure what that means, but he is also breakfast host on Radio 2, of course. Earlier, I caught up with Mr John Myers, who is chairman of the Sony Radio Academy Awards Committee, to ask him what we can expect from this year's gongs. Last year, of course, we had Gary Barlow and Jesse J and uh, people like that performing. And this year, of course, we've got uh, Robbie Williams, uh, who's turning up, uh, Jamie Cullum and the Saturdays as well. So it's going it's to be a good night. Well, apart from the Saturdays, big names there, John. Big names indeed, and of course there's a lot of big names, as always, uh, fighting it out for the golden gongs, as we say at the Sony's. Uh, Chris Evans, of course, is up for the breakfast show with Christian O'Connell yep. and uh, Ricky Melvin and Charlie. They're going for it. And of course, John Humphrey's on the Today programme. There's not many categories you get all that lot nominated in one. And, and, uh, and Radio 3 Breakfast as well, so... Yeah, it's, I think it's a big night. You know, it's a big night, certainly for the breakfast show. It's always one that everybody wants to win, doesn't it? Because uh, you write, you know, pages and pages on breakfast shows <laughs> every time Ray Jars come out. So it is a big one, and of course, it's uh, it's often where the majority of the investment goes, doesn't it, on a lot of these stations? So on there, uh, best speech program. That's interesting this year, this year because Alan Robson, who does the Night Owls at Metro, has been around since the year dot. Even when I was <laughs> uh, well, uh, I knew him when I was just ten stone. So that's how far. We're <laughs> That's how far back we go. Uh, Ian Dale, who, as you know, on LBC was moved from evenings, uh, took over from James Whale. He's He's been nominated as well. And, he's um, one, of the, one of the Tory bloggers taking over the world. Yeah, and, yeah. and the JVS show and the Listening Project and Winners. So I think speech programme, people like to see what's on, on speech uh, happening as well. And, of course, the stations of the year, uh, all the stations. are. And, of course, it's interesting this year, isn't it, on station of the year, because we have uh, the BBC Asian Network that was nearly killed off and and then was sort of saved at the very last moment, and all of a sudden, here they go with a nomination for Station of the Year, along with Five Live and, uh, and of course, Classic FM. So big awards, they're just a few examples, but the whole night, I think, is going to be uh, an interesting evening where the big stars are competing with some of the ones from the regions as well. Uh, but no Radio 2 uh, nominated for, for Station of the Year. Was that, was that a surprise, John? Record audience figures? Well, it was for me, actually. You know, and I'm chair of the, of the committees, but we have a, an individual committee who uh, judge absolutely every individual category, as you know. So none of them talk to each other. None of them get together. And they genuinely go on the audio that's submitted. And so, you know, when I when the nominations came out and I saw, you know, Radio 2 hadn't made it this year, it was a surprise, bearing in mind they've now just had 15 million. But I'm sure they'll bounce back to even greater glory <laughs> over, the, over the coming year. They can miss out for one year. Uh, but I'll tell you what, John, did catch my eye was in the, uh, in the comedy 
category, which is traditionally dominated by uh, by Radio Four. There's, there's one in there for the Asian Network, but also uh, nominated is Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, which I think is the only um, what would you call it only only podcast, only internet program to make it to this year's awards. But, but congratulations to them for sort of holding their own against uh, you know the big national stations. Yeah, and of course there was a big debate this year because we reduced the categories by about half a dozen this year to try and try and make it a shorter evening because, as you know, you, you go in there, you grab a drink at 6 o'clock and you hang on. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> until well, 11. We, until 11. So we tried to make it a little bit shorter this year and that meant a few of the categories, you know, uh, fell by the wayside or we merged them into other areas. And we actually thought on the podcast, you know, the podcasts... This is the, it, this is the podcast category which is no more, which you, you've cruelly axed. We, we asked because you, you were you stood every chance of winning it. Um, <laughs> Very kind, the, sir. But we did everything and, and looked at all these categories. But we thought, well, we can merge them because what podcasts are really are just programs, and they should be able to compete with all the other programs. So we put them together, and lo and behold, here's one: Richard Herring, as you said, Leicester Square, the theatre podcast. There, um, that did really well, and it it stood up against the best. Uh, comedy programs, whether they're broadcast as a podcast or as a program on national radio, local radio, whatever. So, you know, w- good on them. But it's tough if you're a podcaster, you know, doing it from your, doing it from your back room without the resources of a, of a big, you know, certainly a big BBC station. We don't do ours from the back room. We, we do it from the front room. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a level playing field. It's not necessarily a level playing field, but we go to the best content. If you look at some of the other categories this year, you know, some of the people that have been nominated have no way the resources that the BBC have had, for example, in some of these categories. And so it really does come down to, you know, the quality of what you're putting on to the programmes, whether it's a podcast or whether it's broadcast on mainstream radio or not. And I'm, I'm afraid the future is podcast. You can't say, oh, I should win a Sony because I don't have the resources. You only win a Sony if the audio is good enough. Right, well, in the, in the interest of balance, uh, we've got uh, Ollie Mann, who uh, presents a podcast, and uh, Boyd Hilton, you've got an po- Arsenal podcast? Yep, Footballistically Arsenal. And you're on a podcast, so I think that's, uh, that's a good uh, a broad range of opinions here. But well, what do you make of this, uh, uh, Ollie? What do you make of the, the Sony's decision to, to axe the, uh, the podcast category? It doesn't feel t- particularly forward-looking to me. No, it doesn't. I, I can so- totally see the argument, the kind of platform-agnostic quality wins through argument but I just don't think it's realistic and I also don't think seeing Richard Herring getting nominated is an example of podcast breaking through I mean well done to him and obviously other podcasts including my own podcast answer me this entered that comedy category and didn't get nominated so well done him for getting through but you know he is a comedian professional comedian of two decades standing he submitted a show produced by a professional radio producer in a professional venue in which he interviewed a series of celebrity guests that's the show it is basically a Radio 4 type show, actually, as is mine. And I'm not saying that I'm, I present the most out there podcast, but it is essentially a Radio 4 type show with a bit more swearing in it. That's not good enough to say that podcasts can't enter, that that's an example of why podcasts now don't have their own category at the Sonys, because there are so many podcasts that aren't like that, uh, that aren't like this, which is also essentially like a Radio 4 discussion show in a sense. Uh, You know, there are podcasts that really push the medium in all sorts of ways, Uh, podcasts that run for an hour and a half with long form interviews, which people really do produce from their sitting room that cover niches uh, that are never realistically going to be able to compete with the best of BBC and commercial radio. It feels like whilst Radio 4 has abandoned the word podcast and they're now saying download a copy of our programme, even Apple to an extent, which of course was such a huge supporter of podcasts by putting them on iTunes, now has their podcast app and therefore people getting their new Apple devices aren't being directed towards podcasts. And now the Sony's 
sort of ganging up on podcasters as well, it feels like a real shame because if you want as talent to break into the radio industry, really there are two main routes. One is community and student radio, which is honoured at the Sonys. They have a community programme award and the other is podcasting. And I think they're turning their back on a really great resource for talent in the future because the only way now to get a job on a radio station is to be a TV presenter first otherwise. Boy, do you think you're... Uh, you- do your football podcast, as we yes. mentioned. Do you think you should be considered alongside other online offerings, or should you be uh, um, bracketed with uh, you know Five Live and TalkSport? Uh, part of me understands where Sony's coming from. Actually, I mean, I, obviously, my podcast is an incredibly gritty, uh, homemade piece of uh, piece of work with guests like Dermot O'Leary and Jack Whitehall. We, we keep it real, but um, no, most of the time it's 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 fairly shambolic and amateurish. <laughs> Big so, names, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, is, aren't, first of all, aren't there separate awards of podcasts? You know, is, doesn't the podcasting world have its own awards? I, I vaguely remember being entered for that by someone it's an um, online affair i think huh? no i'm kidding yeah no i'm you know i'm not saying it's it's in any way as high profile as the sony's of course and the other thing is there is an issue isn't there that there are so many podcasts out there i mean i don't know how if everyone entered their podcast how the hell would the people on the sony committees actually sift through all that stuff i mean it just seems to me a, a logistical problem with with dealing with podcasts. i think partly having spoken to some of the people involved um, I think that's partly why they felt it was too difficult to, to deal with. But, you know, and the other thing is, I do think there's a difference between podcasting and radio. And I think there, you know, and you, you touched on it a bit there, Ollie, where you said, you know, podcasts have gone for an hour and a half. Well, we, indeed, you know, we can do what the hell we want, can't we? Whereas I think actual radio is a discipline, which is different. So I want, I mean, it doesn't bother me, particularly, that podcasts aren't given their own category. But it doesn't mean that podcasts are any less valuable. I mean, oh, no, the- not at all. But is it really fair to include something that someone can do for hours on end if they want with a finely honed yeah, but, piece of well-edited... But if know- it isn't finely honed, if it goes on for hours and it's not interesting, then it wouldn't sure. rise to the top anyway. Sure. I actually had a conversation with a very well-known radio executive about this, uh, and he was saying to me, always put your best five minutes last. Always put your best five minutes last because then you'll leave the listener with a reason to come back next week. And I thought you couldn't be more wrong. I really respect <laughs> that you. Is, that is obviously. I, I respect peculiar. you and you've been in the industry for a long time. But that is obviously what you do on Radio One. Yeah. It's not what you do on a podcast because it's not a secondary medium that you listen to when you're doing the ironing necessarily. It's, a, it's something that you say, I want, out of all the content in the world right now, I want to listen to this. I want to share my time with these people. And you have to put your best content in the first five minutes, otherwise they'll turn off. Wouldn't it be a bit weird for the BAFTAs, which we're going to talk about later, for example, the BAFTA TV, to suddenly include, you know, stuff on YouTube, though? No, I I don't think it would. I mean, because they they cover video games, don't they? And that was still... No, but that's their own... Video games has their own ceremony. I just think it's... I I think it's a different genre. I I really do. I just think podcasts are different. I mean, like I was saying, I have some sympathy with the view, and I do think ultimately maybe that is what we're moving forward to, but I think it's too soon bearing in mind that the Sonys were supporting podcasts. Mm. You know, what they've decided to do is stop doing a thing they were doing. It's a bit like the London Marathon saying that the people dressed in chimpanzee suits that are raising money for bowel cancer shouldn't enter because it's only for elite athletes and only the chimpanzee, you know, the chimpanzee should go off and train to become elite athletes before they come back. You don't get an award for best um, best marathon performance. You either win or you, you know. But you're part of it. You're part of it. And I I think... I think my BAFTA TV comparison is far more analogous. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I like the idea of podcasts as chimpanzees. Yeah. I, I think they're slightly pulling the ladder up after them. And I also the think, chimpanzee. And I also think, <laughs> Ollie's furious now. <laughs> I also think that if you're only considering podcasts that can compete alongside radio in the radio categories, then that's unfair on a whole range of podcasts. You're listening to the wrong podcasts. Okay. Well, in this case, listener, you're listening to the right podcast. This is media talk from the Guardian. <laughs> uh, but uh, boy, do you mention the Baftas? So yes. uh, let's let's uh, move straight on. Uh, who's going to win? It's uh, they are this Sunday, or if you're listening to this podcast yeah. next week, they were last Sunday. Uh, Graham <laughs> Norton, Graham Norton in charge as ever. Yeah, Sunday um, BBC One, nine o'clock, uh, eight o'clock, I believe. Not actually live, but most of it will be shown on the BBC One. 
Um, well, who will win? I mean, like the, like the uh, Sonys, there are literally dozens of categories. Um, the interesting ones, I think, are stuff like in comedy, 2012 has got four nominations. Now, this is the kind of show where, where it first landed on BBC Four, was very much unheralded by the BBC, kind of just kind of like slipped out with barely a mention in any of their publicity materials, etc., etc., and has now become one of the jewels in their crown, and they kind of boast about it because it's going to get, it could well win a few BAFTAs. You know, Olivia Coleman's been nominated as well. So a show like that, I think, could do really well. And it's interesting that shows like that, that kind of gather momentum by word of mouth and by sheer quality and by people critics like me writing about them hopefully may well be recognized as opposed to some of the shows that the bbc would promote and puts out there and thinks that's their best stuff so i think it's an interesting point that not necessarily the stuff that the bbc thinks is gonna be triumphant ends up being triumphant and in one sense an infuriating hit for the bbc because you, you can't really do another series and unless we get the olympics again or maybe they could do it around the commonwealth games next year but not quite the same and you can't really repeat it either or maybe you can well i think john creator john morton i do believe was trying to work out a way of spinning off because of course it did feature characters like jessica Hines's character who was a brilliant and um, one of the one of the most best observed PR person ever in, in comedy. Um, a fantastic person. He, I think he was thinking of... A, for that. Yeah. Best observed PR person in comedy Absolutely. ever. Absolutely. <laughs> I think he was thinking of a way of spinning her off, for example, into her own show. I don't know whether he's actually achieved that, but I think that's certainly a possibility. Yeah. Ollie, what are you looking at for at the BAFTAs? Uh, any, any category uh, grab you? Yeah, I think um, the uh, category for best female performance in a comedy programme... I mean, for anyone who says, and I, I can't believe I'm even saying this to just rebuff it because I hate it when people say it, but for anyone who says, oh, women aren't funny, I mean, literally that category is absolutely astonishing. Julia Davis, Olivia Colman, Jessica Hines, Miranda Hart, very hard to pick yeah. a winner there. I mean, they are absolutely brilliant. And equally with sitcom as well, the thick of it, Hunderby episodes in 2012, those aren't just the best sitcoms of last year. Those are the best TV shows of last year and possibly of the last five years. Well, I would also add to that in, 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 in the other, that comedy has a few different categories. So there's like single comedy, if you like. And it's interesting, there's a lot of Sky. That Sky's got its highest number of nominations this year. Yes, so seven. stuff like Welcome to the Places of My Life, which was the Alan Partridge special, which I think was the single funniest hour of TV throughout the whole year has got a couple of nominations and I really hope wins um, Julia Davis is Johanna B you mentioned has got a few nominations and that's won quite a few awards already RTS awards and comedy awards so I think it does show that Sky, particularly Sky Atlantic um, which I think has got six or seven nominations on its own is kind of becoming the British version of HBO that gets a lot of award nominations even though hardly anyone watches that channel well the problem is it's got to convince people to subscribe to Sky to watch it that's their yeah. only reason for doing this and Absolutely. it's still jury's still out whether people are doing that isn't it I guess Boyd I think uh, by the way have you got some sort of form Role with the BAFTAs this yes, year. Yes, yeah. I'm hosting. I'm hosting the um, winners' press conference, which is that bit where you know when the, the winner goes off stage and they're ushered back by uh, by professional ushers backstage, and they face the might of Her Majesty's press, radio, and broadcasters, <laughs> and who get to and you who get to ask them a series of really stupid questions. And I'm I stand there hosting that bit. I have to ask the first question, which is usually how does it feel to have won. Uh, BAFTA, and then the, the great people like you pop in, uh, uh, come in and ask questions. I'm also be on the red carpet with Heat World as oh. well. Yes, doing that really annoying. I once wrote a column saying the hardest thing in broadcasting is to do red carpet interviews because I think it's the pressure of saying something vaguely interesting and intelligent. While you're, you get someone for 30 seconds who's on the red carpet, and I'm actually doing it. Well, I think, uh, Boyd, your first question should be, why aren't the biggest rating shows of last year, like, for instance, uh, Downton Abbey yeah. and Doctor Who yeah. and Call the Midwife, it got one nod, but that's in yeah. the audience award, which isn't really a BAFTA. You know, how comes BAFTA aren't recognised in well, these I, big shows? And are they, are they in touch? long, John. That huh? wouldn't work on the red carpet. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, exactly. Really no, yeah. so Tom Cruise is gone. Yeah, you won't be there. I'll tell you, I'll give you the answer to that question. Is When you're on, I'm, I do do BAFTA juries quite regularly, um, although you're not, you're not allowed to say which BAFTA jury you do on until the actual day, weirdly. How weird is that? No. So I did I'll something. Ask me on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Tell me on Sunday. But I tell you, they emphasise absolutely constantly that it's all about quality and 
not about the audience at all. In fact, you're specifically told you're not allowed to take into account how popular a show is. So once people, and people do start talking about it in BAFTA, in BAFTA juries, and people say, oh, but you know, this show got 50 times the number of viewers as that show. And the, and the jury chair has to say, I'm sorry, we cannot take that into account. So I think that's good. You know, there are, the NTAs are all about the number of viewers watching a show. That literally is compiled of the highest rated shows on TV, the National TV Awards, and voted for by viewers. The BAFTA Awards are all about quality, like the Oscars, you know. So com- obscure films win Oscars and obscure TV shows win BAFTAs, and I think that's as it should be. But Ollie, yeah, I'm surprised that they, that, that they don't think Midwife, Downton, Doctor Who, I don't, I'm surprised that they don't think they're quality, you know. And I think the danger is they sort of lose oh. touch with the viewers, you know, and they're, they're sat at home scratching their head saying, on a minute, what's Hunderby? Yeah, but actually, as a result of uh, maybe Googling Hunderby and then going to get the DVD box set or subscribing to Sky, which is what they want, uh, actually, you get viewers to quality content so I think that's good I mean it's the reason why I was saying that the podcast award should be part of the same news if I may add some of my own emissions to the BAFTAs bit go dis- ahead far away bit dis- you may have been admitted <laughs> yeah oh. yeah there definitely should be an audio podcast category yeah, the BAFTAs yeah. as well yeah. Roger Allen in the thick of it great bit man. disappointed that he wasn't in comedy performance uh, and also Getting On, not a single nomination for Getting yeah, On. Yeah, that's true, I agree with that. I think is a really beautifully made show, and on a BBC4 budget as well. And Line of say- Duty on BBC2, quickly, Boyd. Oh, yeah, then that was mm. a very interesting uh, omission. I, I would agree with that. And Good Cop, which is also a brilliant um, BBC uh, drama. Oh, can I just say about the this popularity thing, if you look at the nominations for drama series, Last Tango and Halifax, huge hit, Ripper Street, big hit, Scott and Bailey, Massive on ITV and Silk. Those aren't obscure shows. So, I mean, even though Downton didn't get nominated, Call the Midwife didn't get nominated, I would defend those four selections as being really good mainstream popular drama that have been nominated. So I think it's a slight myth that they've ignored highest rating shows. It's basically obvious that Downton didn't get nominated, and that's interesting. But actually, a lot of the shows that did get nominated are hugely popular. Point taken, Councillor. Thank you. (laughs) Next up. There'll be a new player in the arena of TV sport next season. BT Sport is taking on the might of Sky Sports with around £1 billion worth of rights, the lion's share of which went on 38 live Premier League football games a season. Uh, Ollie, if only you had a football expert in the studio to talk about this. Well, here he is. It's Mr Boyd Hilton. (laughs) BT executives say the long-term bet as a driver of broadband subscriptions is money well spent and have signed up a host of familiar BBC names, including Jake Humphreys, who used to do Formula One, and Claire Balding. Most of uh, BT's matches, Boyd, are going to be on Saturday lunchtime. But do you think many people yeah. are going to sign up for this when so many games, I think four times as many games, if not more, are, are available on Sky? It's interesting because they're taking it from ESPN, aren't they? And, and, and the ESPN kind of has had got on with Sky. They kind of managed to... I don't really know exactly how it happened, but somehow ESPN and Sky basically got together and they do publicise each other's matches. So it almost ended up with, if you had the full Sky package like I do... Um, then you'd get ESPN matches anyway, whereas this is quite a different thing now. So the ESPN won't have those matches and BT have got them. And I think and they have got a certain number of what are called the A matches, which are going to be the big, big matches that people actually, you know, the ones involving, say, the top four or five teams playing each other. And I do think they'll get a lot of people who want, will want to sign up for those. Because, you know, for, as, as Sky has proven, I mean, you know, the great story of Sky really is they drove it with Premier League football and it worked, doesn't it? I mean, it, it has become a huge phenomenon quite largely down to that decision to put huge amount, millions and millions of pounds into getting those right. So, and Five Live, you know, does, a huge, does hugely well with Premier League football. It is a thing that people are massively obsessed with. It was interesting this week that the Alex Ferguson um, resigning issue, which a lot of people who aren't in slightest interested in football, were stunned that it led BBC News, front page of all the papers. Well, actually, the simple fact is people are obsessed with Premier League football, you know, all around the world. And it is news. It is important to people. And in News in Brief this week, or news fairly briefly at least, uh, BBC4 is looking for a new controller after Richard Klein uh, jumped ship to join ITV to look after its factual programme. 
boy, BBC Four had sort of budget cuts in, uh, in 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 the last year as part of the BBC's um, delivering quality first initiative. And um, well, what do you make of this move? You know, I think it's probably fair enough. I, I mean, I, think I I could probably do the job of being a BBC controller in my spare time. I, I know it sounds arrogant, but they've basically all, got boys. they've got a fairly um, apologies they've got a fairly straightforward system of scheduling they're not commissioning original drama or comedy anymore i do believe as part of that initiative so it's basically arts and you know discussions of arts it's kind of a lot of archive friday night's pretty much music themed stuff which i love don't get me wrong i love watching old you know episodes of top of the pops and you know long nights about david bain all of that and they have taken that ridiculous decision to put the review show on bbc4 once a month a, a topical show, review show of stuff once every four weeks. Extraordinary decision. So I do think there's all kinds of things about BBC Four that I, I, we could easily sort out and easily change. But I could do it in, you know, I could do it in half a week's work. I think. So I, I, I would suggest that they, so the BBC could possibly merge some controllers there and sort that out. Also this week, uh, the BBC's um, troubled 133 million pound digital video archive. Now, um, apparently, the future was going to be tapeless, Ollie. Uh, but it turns out um, it's not without its problems. Yeah, and there's a little bit of an element of ho, 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 the BBC gets it wrong again here. But the future is tapeless. I mean, it's ridiculous that they have these huge warehouses full of a dying medium, you know, that are getting rusted over. And I think it's the right decision to spend however many millions it costs putting the archive into a digital format so that in 100 years' time it can still be referenced and used. But what's gone wrong? Well, there's some teething problems, uh, as you might expect. Um, Some of the journalists are, it seems, not particularly used to the new system. They're having problems adapting to the idea that if they want a bit of archive, they have to learn how to use use this new digital system. Uh, And uh, the example that's being given a lot is during Thatcher's death, apparently BBC News staff were unable to find clips of her for obits. I mean, that does show some level of mismanagement, I think, because that story did not exactly come as a surprise. Uh, if you are importing old archive, surely you should have said, mm, who might die in the next five years? Maybe we should put that in first. So it does look like maybe it's being slightly mismanaged. But I do think, broadly speaking, these are teething problems. What they're now saying is that they're going to have to put in refrigeration units into New Broadcasting House to house tapes. And that does all seem rather absurd. But I do think the long-term goal of going tapeless has to be the right one just as when the BBC went online it took them kind of five ten years to get it right but now uh, thanks to iPlayer and the rest of it it would be absurd to imagine them not being there. Boyd like me you must have got a garage full of um, uh, videotapes of Cheers (laughs) recorded off Channel 4 in 1983. I do I also have uh, vast collections of the Arsenal um, Video Club which is a thing that used to happen years ago where they sent out like five video cassettes during the season so you could follow what was going on. I've still got them lining my shelves. How sad is that? Um, I think it's a funny story, isn't it? I mean, people do like funny stories about um, BBC buildings. I mean, there is also the other one, which is less funny, but but quite extraordinary, the one about... Oh, where are you going with this? Go on. Well, yeah. allegedly, I'll throw that in, allegedly someone was, was stopped, was having some kind of heart attack in the, in oh. New Broadcasting House, and, and they didn't let the uh, the um, paramedics get to them. Or that was that was a, r- a story that was printed in one of the papers. I'm sure the BBC denied it. This was um, uh, in case they were caught uh, on camera on camera there are all these uh, alleged rules about what you can and can't do what you can and can't wear when because the whole of the whole newsroom at new broadcasting house is is on screen at any given time and that so that's all rather amusing but you know at least they have actually made that building it's open it's there it's pretty incredible on the positive side at least they had to do that and had to modernize that whole part of the bbc and it's all in one place now isn't it radio that's a good thing there always are teething problems with new buildings actually i mean i I do a lot of stuff from five live in salford and uh, you know we do an internet slot on saturday edition talking about the week on the web there are computers there that they gave us that don't have the internet on them stuff like that uh, where you do just think this is mind-boggling how you can do that you know, studios that don't have wi-fi stuff like that and lifts without buttons in bbc north oh right? drives you absolutely insane. and also everyone will die if there's a fire there because you need a pass to get out so if you're not a bbc 
city employee, you will just burn to death <laughs> trying to get out the building. You need a pass to get out of, 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 of Media City, of Salford. Yeah, that's that is just extraordinary. so weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I genuinely don't understand that. Yeah, no, why, what's the problem brilliant. with getting out? Yeah. Anyway, uh, like I say, teething problems, but I think long term, uh, as with all the BBC building strategies, actually, they're probably a good idea, really, if it you take your second. Reminds me of the story about the guy trying to get out of a car park, and he couldn't because the outside world was full. <laughs> he had to wait for someone to come in. Wasn't that a Doctor Who episode? Oh, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think you should do a whole media talk special on getting out of BBC buildings. <laughs> right, we'll do that as well. Maybe for a quiet just, summer week. Just an idea. Yeah, yeah. Boy, thank you very much. Consider that a commission. Uh, thank you. Uh, and that's the end for this part of the show. My thanks to Mr. Ollie Mann and to Boyd Hilton. It's time to talk technology now with The Guardian's Jemima Kish. Hello, Plunky. How, How are, are you? I'm awesome. And you? Oh, you know, totally awesome. Good. We're, we're both awesome. Yeah. If only this was on video. It's the most overused adjective in technology, and it's pants, isn't it? Can't we just say I'm all right? We are English after Yeah, all. I was like, yeah, two marks out yeah. of ten for mine. Yeah. Right, okay, first up this week yes. is Newsmodo, which is a website which does a very good thing to be encouraged yeah. everywhere. Is to, it helps freelance photographers and reporters actually make money. Yes, well, that's the aim. There have been quite a few of these things over the years, which could be a sort of citizen journalism platform like Scooped, you remember that a few years ago, which sold to Getty, um, or it could be helping writers report on stuff. It always sounds like a kind of commendable idea, but they never seem to entirely work in practice. And I think sort of somewhere in there, there's something about the dynamic of how an editor engages with a writer, so how he commissions someone, so the actual kind of human relationship they have, and also how important the brand of the newspaper is in you know how they kind of engage with the world and how people come to them and so basically I'm just not entirely convinced that it's needed although I'd never knock anyone for trying something new so how does it actually work how, if you're if you're a freelance journalist on one side and you're a commissioning editor on a newspaper on the other side how does Newsmodo bring the two together in a, in a smart efficient and uh, bountiful to both parties way you register as a freelancer and uh, you register as a news provider, and the two meet with on the numerous site. numerous tags. So you can type in, I want a broadcasting correspondent with the uh, experience of presenting a weekly podcast, for instance, and then John Plunkett's name pops up. Give it a try, John. Sure Why not? And report back next week. Yeah. I don't know if my contract allows me that, but, uh, uh, but yeah, it's got to be a good thing. But I, I think you've suggested here, it's all about personal relationships, isn't it? Sadly, it's, it, the world of... Freelance work often is about freelancers that you know and that you've used before and that know the editors. And, well, you know, not, it's hard to replicate that on an app, is it? Not, not? sadly, though, John. Actually, if you look uh, more to the technology world, look at Google and Facebook, where engineers in the hierarchy of the company reign supreme. Often the engineering, obviously, is world class. But they do lack a sort of a more of a natural human instinct about the user interface. There's a very famous story about a Google designer that left because... The engineers were having a, you know, doing endless series of user testing about the 40 different shades of blue they might be able to use on a link to get someone to click, rather than thinking, actually, does this work for the user? So it might be a good platform. Where's the human sort of element, the human relationship in that? Well, that's news yes. modo. I shall report back with my experiences. Yeah, I do. C- contractual obligations allowing. Uh, now, the future, I say this sitting down, uh, but the future is clearly mobile. And uh, ABC uh, are going to come up with new ways of measuring uh, mobile traffic, which can only be a good thing. They're going to include mobile traffic in uh, their reporting figures. They started doing this in the States with iPads and magazines last year. So, you know, congratulations for catching up at last, I suppose. Mobile doesn't really mean wandering down the street looking at a video. Mobile actually means smartphones and devices, and most of the time, actually not most of the time, but a lot of the time, people are just using those devices wirelessly. So 50% of tablets are often just used at home, wandering around wirelessly, as you yourself may testify. Yes, certainly are by my wife, yes, while I'm trying to watch TV. 
is that annoying? And she looks up and says, oh, what happened then? But yeah. now, now there's a, there's a, that's not allowed anymore. So, uh, well, welcome to the second screen experience, John. I'm like a human catch-up. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's trying to work out how the second screen works, and certainly broadcasters are trying to make it work to their advantage. Uh, yeah, and actually Anthony Rose, ex-iPlayer, has got an amazing startup called Zbox doing exactly that, which is on mobile and tablet, and a kind of adding a more formal, engaged, commercialised environment to the conversation that people like your wife, have um, while you're watching television and actually using that in a constructive way, like the new Eurovision app, Ooh. which I'm sure you'll be using and watching, Mr. Yeah. Plunkett. Well, I think Eurovision has is, is got massive potential for a second screen because essentially it's a very long, frequently boring broadcast with some intermittent highlights. So what you want is something to kind of take your attention away from... You want um, the banter because that's the exciting bit, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Which, is, yeah, which is exactly what the app will provide quite how they'll get people using the app rather than just doing that on the, the apps they're already using, Twitter, etc. I don't know. but um, Yeah, if only there was a social media network that let you talk about any programme you wanted to talk about. Yes, With if, lots of if only that existed yeah. already. Yeah. Maybe we'll invent it. But that's enough second screen and definitely enough Eurovision. Uh, but you talked about traffic before and I think, uh, Jemima, you have some fascinating uh, facts and figures about yes. who exactly and why... They read the Daily Mail website online. Yes, this is all now at, uh, uh, is it dailymail.co.uk slash car crash? I mean, slash stats. Uh, if you go to this page now, you can get uh, endless numbers and uh, slicing and dicing of who uh, is reading the Daily Mail, not why, unfortunately. Um, but if we look at the stats, we can see that in America, where we know they have a huge amount of traffic, mostly on the coasts, surprisingly. We're supposed to be the most liberal audiences, but anyway... Uh, so that's really interesting. Side, sidebars. So we're like halfway through the day today, and 34, yeah, it's always the sidebars, 34 million articles read globally just today, and we're halfway through the day, except some people's day has already started, and some people's day hasn't started yet. So it gets really complicated. But we can also learn about a woman who injected cooking oil into her face, uh, most shared Facebook story. So, yeah, there's a whole world of pain on there if you want to, <laughs> if you want to lose a few hours. And some people, it turns out, are very, very keen on commenting on Daily Mail stories. Yes. There's a chap called Sean in Londonderry who has posted 67 comments on 53 articles in the last 24 hours. He's the Daily Mail's biggest fan. Perhaps we'll try and get him on the show. The pause there was me stopping myself from making sweeping generalisations about what this gentleman does with the rest of his life. But um, Sean, if you're listening, come on the show. Uh, yeah. Or just send me an angry tweet. Yeah. Not do. necessarily angry. He might not be following you on Twitter. I'd put money on him not. Good boy, Jemima. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure, John, as ever. And it's time to talk TV now with the uh, Guardian's TV and radio editor, uh, Rebecca Nicholson. Hello. Hello. Uh, Now, The Apprentice is back this week with not just one, but two helpings. Two episodes. Clearly trying to build up a bit of momentum uh, to kick it all off. But uh, did it achieve that momentum? Well, in terms of the ratings, it didn't quite work, did it? It lost quite a number on the it second did, it night. Was six, six million watched the first episode, which was the lowest launch. It sounds like I prepared this, doesn't it? Which was the, <laughs> the, the lowest audience since it uh, switched to BBC One uh, a long time ago. And then the second night, yeah, lost about a million viewers, down to about five million. So I just wonder if it's difficult to watch, to watch one after the other, because they're all such unpleasant people. It's, it's not a nice thing to have two consecutive evenings of people sniping at each other and generally being dreadful human beings. But I actually thought the first episode was one of the best openers we've had in a really long time. I thought it was really entertaining. Great crowd of idiots. Yeah, <laughs> for the want of a better phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why 
people aren't as keen if it's just that the format is getting tired and obviously everyone's so aware of what the show is there's a suspicion that they're playing up to to the cameras or playing up to being those characters or if it's just that at the moment it seems less funny to have one of money grabbing idiots being money grabbing idiots on tv i don't know at a time of difficult economic circumstance it just doesn't seem as funny as before and uh, you get the sense that, well, all the characters are so familiar and they're like people you recognise from previous series, but not as good or not as funny or not as hapless, you know. Well, the I well mean, has got to run dry. But having said that, it sounds like I'm being very, ne- very negative. I've really enjoyed these two episodes, um, but I'm just trying to think why they haven't been as successful. No, I don't want to put you on the spot, but who's going to win? Oh, I don't know. I always struggle at this early stage to remember people's names because there are so many of them. And so think, uh, let's say eyebrows for now. Because, oh, is that the Welsh guy? Uh, yeah. Right, the Dracula look Dracula with eyebrows. Or Freddie Mercury, depending yeah. on who you think he resembles. Let's say him because he's the, he's the one I can remember. Okay, well, um, Media Talk never, is going to sponsor him. I hope that he wins. He's yeah. a, we're going to champion him. We, we can. Good luck, Welsh he, chat with he the eyebrows. He won't win. He, he's too much of a character to win. It's always the quiet ones, but um, we'll okay. see. Well, uh, next week, if you want to satisfy a different part of your brain, uh, it may well be catered for by a new BBC Two drama called The Fall. Yes. With Gillian Anderson. Gillian Anderson and Jamie Dornan, who, former male model, is in Once Upon a Time, the Channel Five, uh, the American Channel Five fairy tale series. And he's playing a serial killer, and we know this because the, the gimmick is that we know who the killer is from the very beginning. So it's not so much a whodunit as a let's catch whodunit. But it's very good. I think it's excellent. I think it, it's set in Northern Ireland. Gillian Anderson plays a kind of prime suspect style chief inspector, or possibly even, I don't know, a rank higher than that. She's really She's important. a big wig. She's really important. She comes into Northern Ireland to, sort, to Belfast to sort out this case because they can't find this killer of women. It's genuinely very good. It's scripted well. I found it absolutely terrifying. I don't know if it's just um, because he's targeting women in their homes that I found it slightly scary, but I was very glad that my flatmate was at home when I returned after seeing it. But it's very good. And is it a sort of big-budget, glossy co-pro? It looks more like a Scandi crime. It's like it's Scandi crime in Belfast. But it's excellent. And I, I was worried that that premise, that you know who it is from the start, would, would remove some of the tension from it because there's nothing to really investigate yourself. But actually, it works wonderfully. It's very tense and it, it's very good. Excellent. Okay, well, I'm going to go home and stick that in my planner. Too yes. sweet. In yep. fact, I'm going to do no work this afternoon. I'm just going to go straight back. Do it now. Uh, and uh, also uh, coming up soon, uh, now I'm, I've got to admit I'm not quite so excited by this, is another kind of redneck reality show. Well, yes, it's called Here Comes Honey Boo Boo. And Honey Boo Boo found internet fame as part of another TV show about pageant queens. She went viral, as they say, because she's a kind of sassy... Seven-year-old, <laughs> a sassy camp seven-year-old girl. This is coming to British TV as part of TLC, which stands for the Learning Channel, apparently. <laughs> not, not, uh, not the, not the girl band. Not the or girl band. Tender loving care. The very educational, the Learning Channel. And this is from the Discovery, isn't it? This kind of female skewed channel, if I can yes. use that uh, terrible marketing speak. Yeah, I think so. It uh, has things like Amish wives, and uh, it's that kind of thing. There, it's been controversial in the States. Some people have said it's the highest form of exploitation. Actually, I mean, other than the fact that you're putting a seven-year-old child on TV and making her instantly famous, and obviously that comes with plenty of pitfalls, as we've seen throughout celebrity history, the family really love each other and really support each other. And I think people, there's a slightly patronising way of, of perceiving this working-class family. 
And actually, I think the show does quite a nice job of making it obvious that they really love and care for each other. So there's that side of it too. Um, but they do things like uh, mud pit belly flop at their local games, which is... Is that a dessert? It's not. It, sh- it sounds like it should be. It's actually a sporting activity, and it involves belly flopping into a pit of mud. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like Peppa Pig does? Yes. But she sort of jumps up and down in Wellis. There is a pig in it too. Is there? There's a pet, uh, pet uh, teacup pig. A teacup, oh, well, a, a miniature sort of dwarf yeah. pig thing. We, we think it's gay. They think it's gay. It's well, a gay that, teacup pig. <laughs> on that bombshell. <laughs> well, on that bombshell, uh, Rebecca Nicholson watching the show, so you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks a lot. That's it for this week's show. My thanks to all our guests who were in no particular order. Mr. Ollie Mann, Boyd Hilton, Rebecca Nicholson, Jemima Kish, and of course, down the line, Mr. John Myers. You can leave your comments on this week's show on our Facebook wall or our blog, or you can tweet me at johnplunkett149. Media Talk is produced by Mr. Matt Hill. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.